What's going on, guys? You are listening to the Lens Culture Photography Podcast, hosted by myself, Jonathan Pajak. And I just want to let you guys know the purpose of this podcast is to help all of you guys, photographers, videographers in this awesome industry, grow your business. That is the main purpose here. If you want to access anything I reference in this episode, be sure to head down to the show notes of the episode for additional information. Enough talking. Let's get right into it. Today's episode, I had to crack one open. It's finally here, the Sony a7S III. And yes, we'll be talking about that camera in today's podcast episode. But the main focus is going to be a camera that is perfect for wedding filmmaking. And I personally, quick disclaimer, I do think it's the Sony a7S III. Um, but it may not be for your wedding filmmaking. So let's jump right into today's episode and kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, for those wondering, this is not a beer. It's actually just an energy drink. Um, I don't know. Do you guys drink energy drinks still? I know they're not good for you, so I try not to have them often. But every now and then, I just need a little pick-me-up. I'm not really like a coffee guy. But how's everybody doing? I know it's been a crazy month for cameras. Um, we're all super excited to hear, um, obviously, the A7S III you know, being dropped, not shipped until like September. But just in general with the R5 and then the Nikon camera that got released. And it's like, you know, Blackmagic put out a 12K camera. Like, insane stuff is happening this month. I don't, I've always been curious, has this been planned for this month no matter what? Or were they like, okay, coronavirus is happening, people are sitting at home, let's at least create some great content around the camera and maybe just launch it now as opposed to just waiting, you know what I mean? Since they've invested a lot of money into, you know, the research and development of the cameras. But in today's episode, I want to jump fully into what is the best camera for you for wedding filmmaking and talk a lot about the Sony a7S III. So we're going to start off with that. So for all my Sony shooters out there, I'm a Sony shooter as well. For a lot of you guys have felt this pain. I felt this pain of not being able to film everything in 4K and deliver in 4K. And some people don't even want to deliver in 4K. Personally, I do. I know a lot of people aren't going to be able to um, watch the 4K option even on their phones or TVs. A lot of TVs now are 4K, if I remember correctly. Um, But I just still would love to give that option. And and with storage kind of getting cheaper and cheaper, like you really can't complain too much about like um like hd drives at least anymore because they're getting pretty cheap i mean you can get an eight terabyte drive for like oh i think like 110 bucks now on amazon um for me i just want to deliver that 4k option the crispiness is amazing when i watch my films back and you see clips that are 4k even export in 1080p they look so good in comparison to those 1080p clips so Everybody, I think, that has been thinking that is kind of in the same shoes as me where I was like, okay, I got to keep upscaling all my slow motion or go to a camera system where you have like big crops. It's horrible low light just to get 4K 60 at least. Um, now that is no longer the case. And we'll hop more into the specs a little bit later in the episode. But first, I want to start with the um, design of the camera. Um, the design is, they did an amazing job. They really implemented and took things from the Sony a7 III, um, the R4 and even the A92 and kind of just crammed it all in to the um, to the body of the A7S2, which has been, you know, S3, I keep saying S2, which has been amazing. Um, the first thing you'll notice we've all been loving and waiting for is the flip out screen. It's a fully articulating flip out screen, which is really cool because, you know, before we didn't, we just kind of had the tilting screen. And honestly, it's weird. Some people actually prefer that, which kind of blows my mind. Um, but with the fully articulating screen, 
Now you can have it like low to the ground, like a gimbal and have the screen like out to the side and then directionally angled to where you can like see it from, you know, above. Or let's say you're in portrait mode shooting photography, you can have it low to the ground and have the screen like tilted down and then angled above. So it's just like a lot of really, really cool features when it comes to um, using that flip out screen. Um, in essence, the the buttons from the A7R4 have kind of transferred over to the S3. You get those more tactile buttons, the little thumb grip that's a little bit more, um, as Jared Poland likes to say in his videos, nipply. Um, but just in general, the buttons are going to be a better um, feel tactile to them than they were before. You also are getting a really cool um, third function feature, which is cool because I use... I said cool twice. I'm sorry, guys. Um, you know how you can save custom functions to one and two on most of your Sony cameras? I think all the way down to like the A6300. Um, now they're giving you a third option. And if you kind of think about it, you also get a fourth technically um, because if you use your normal movie mode as an option. Now, obviously, if you change something, it's not going to like revert back to it when you leave the setting and then come back. But you can kind of use it as long as you just make sure you're not changing any like um, like shutter speed or something like that. For me, what that allows me to do is usually I do, and this is what I will do with this camera, I will have one that is set at 4K 24 frames, I'll have another that's set at 4K um, 60, one at 4K 120, and then my um, option 4, which would be just the movie mode, will be set for 1080 240, which I'll use very rarely. I, I don't see the option for me um, using that often. I, I find myself sticking around the 120 or I'll use it um, at 4K 30 just to be able to have like a 20% speed slowdown in post. Um, but as far as the, the body goes, um, they also included a um, the record button. It's actually right by the shutter now, which is really, really cool. So instead of having to have it in an awkward position where it's like right by the viewfinder, even on the side of the camera, which is even worse, now we get it right at the top. So you could be holding it like you're taking a photograph and just slide that pointer finger over and click the record button. I want a disclaimer here, guys. I don't personally have a copy of it in hand. Um, obviously, I didn't get a chance for Sony to send one out, a pre-production model earlier, but I'm also just basing a lot of my knowledge on this on the press release video, others videos, and just reading up on it a lot on their website as well. They also did a really cool thing of including a full-size HDMI on the outside, which is awesome because a majority of our monitors also are in through HDMI full-size. So now it's like all you have to grab is just a normal you know, gold tip HDMI. That way it is fully compatible with the camera and the monitor. And the quality will just be a lot better than that mini micro HDMI, if you know what I mean. I hate fiddling around with those, and those break for me all the time just because of how fragile the little micro inside of it is. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you guys can relate. I have no clue. They also upgraded the, the uh, card slot door. So the card slot door is like a um, like a click and hinge now rather than like the way it was before um, where you kind of like flap it open. And even on the A6500 line or A6000 line, it was like a, a slide open, no like serious locking mechanism. Underneath that card uh, slot door, they included two UHS-2 card slots. Now, for me, I love this feature because um, on the A7S3 and on the R4, you have one UHS-2 card slot. And if you're like me and you shoot a lot of weddings, um, you can't redundantly record to two UHS-2 card slots. So you're not really taking advantage of the speed that, th that come with those card slots, which kind of sucks. Um, they also made it cross-compatible. Yes, cross-compatible. So you can also use a CF Express Type-A, which is Sony's developed card. They are pretty expensive. I'm not going to lie, guys. They're pretty expensive. But to be able to use 
the 4K features in the higher codecs, you're going to have to have that, that CF Express Type A. We'll talk a little bit about that more later on the episode. Um, moving around the body, they, they transferred over that new battery, the battery that we've been using, the A7 III, the A7 R3, A4, R4, um, the long-lasting battery that we love and you know have come to uh, really enjoy over that really crappy small battery that was on our uh, other Sony cameras and stuff like that. So yeah, guys, the body really did take some really cool features that the A7R4 had and not A92 um, and kind of just adapted onto it. Obviously, with the with the Z battery, it's a thicker battery than those crappy little batteries that the A7S2 is using. That's what's you know you're getting a lot of that thickness from is having it to have to use that battery and probably from other components as well. Um, but basically, they added the new flaps on the import doors, so they're a little bit more. Um, I would say structurally sound um, and they don't flap around like the other ones. But besides that, that's that's all the real notes I have to make on the body. I would have loved if it could have been a little bit longer. I think as a, as, as males, females may not have a problem with this because their hands are usually a little bit smaller. Um, but as males, we always have that wandering pinky. And if I could have had that rested somewhere on this camera, I would have been really happy. But I'm okay with it. It's not really a photography camera, so a lot of times we'll have it. Some majority of the time you'll have it handheld, but sometimes you'll have it on a gimbal, tripod, stuff like that. Um, but it would have been nice if I could have that pinky land somewhere. Okay, so moving on now to functionality. Um, they made some really, really, really good upgrades with this camera. We're gonna we're gonna touch on video features a little bit later, but I just want to talk about functionality, like certain things within the camera that um, has just really started to impress me based off the new stats. So first things first. This is a 12 megapixel, um, 12.1 megapixel sensor. So they still kept that 12 megapixel sensor. It's a new one, but the same concept of using small megapixel sizes or megapixel count, but big pixels to really do well in low light. This thing is going to be a beast in low light. Um, Sony said that the S doesn't stand for sensitivity anymore. It's like superior or something like that. Um, but it's going to be a beast of a low light camera. That's why they kept this concept and made it very, very video centric. I want to come out and say, you're going to see a lot of YouTubers maybe that are and stuff like that that are getting paid to, you know, do this camera review or something like that. Personally, the camera, the 12 megapixels, you're not going to take pictures you're going to put on your portfolio, in my opinion. You're not going to take pictures you're going to print large. Um, I would say that 12 megapixels can come in handy if you're taking photos behind the scenes of you filming something or maybe like a thumbnail for like your YouTube or your wedding film at a wedding or anything living on Instagram because the compression is so high. But besides that, you you would never buy this specifically just to take photos um, unless you were maybe somebody that really needed the low light performance. But you really would have to get your, your angle down right in camera because cropping really kind of would just be um, null and void. You really wouldn't be able to crop because you would kind of notice the roughness of those pixels. So none of these features are listed as like my favorite or anything like that. I just kind of was watching videos, reading, and I was jotting things down. And I was like, wow, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, so no no order in these guys. But the first thing I want to talk about is the touch tracking um, rack focus capability when you're in autofocus. They redid the whole autofocus system. So now there's a new hybrid autofocus system that we are used to seeing in our Sony cameras. Um, I want to say I think it has around, yeah, it has 759 focal plane phase detection sensors and 425 contrast detection points distributed across most of the image area. I think it's close to around a 
like a 78 or is it like 90% coverage of the sensor? Uh, a lot better than what we were used to seeing in the A7S II um, with not having an amazing autofocus system. And then we just got spoiled with the, you know, the R4 and even the, um, you know, the uh, 7.3 as well. Just those auto, the autofocus in those cameras, I've never really had a problem with. I think slowly and slowly we are surely um, being able to trust autofocus more and more. For for me, there are certain times where like I don't want to rely on it. For example, like bride coming down the aisle, I usually always pop over to manual focus. I don't want to ever have a chance of it to be hunting in that case. Um, but I think with the live time eye autofocus, we are slowly, slowly getting so much more reliable autofocus to where you really fully can trust it. If you're a newbie and you're thinking about getting this camera, if the price was better, and I'll go over price in a little bit, I would say full on because the autofocus seems to be the best out of all the Sony cameras on the market. Um, but with, with that said, use manual focus when you really, really need to um, dial everything in intact. Um, they also upgraded the brand, there's a whole brand new menu feature with touch features. So basically the menu system is organized in a way to where it's almost vertically, if that makes sense. So let's say you click to the right and you click video features and you click to the right resolution and then it moves to the right. So it's almost like a vertical menu system that is swipeable, touchable and everything. So now we finally get to utilize a touch screen and also having a, you know, a flip articulating screen. So if you are in underslung mode and you need to say, say, um, switch a setting really quickly, you'll be able to do that at ease with your finger rather than like finagling around with the dials and stuff like that. A small feature that I really liked was they actually implemented a new f name filing scheme, which is awesome because before I really hated when I had second shooters and all of our files were named the same. Now I can go in and like, name his files X or my files X. Um, so as it's filming, it's naming the files like that instead of like C00100. Like, I don't know. It just gets really annoying sometimes all clutter when you can't organize things a little bit better. Um, so it's a really small thing within the within the operating system of the camera that they changed that I value a lot as a wedding filmmaker that has second shooters often at weddings or even using two bodies at once. Um, another small feature they did was they gave you this like small box it looks like that you can drag onto different parts of your screen to like help you set your white balance based on something within the image which i thought was really really cool because a lot of times as a wedding filmmaker we'll find ourselves in you know hotel rooms or um, crazy rooms that like it's just hard to hit the white balance correctly and when you have something like that it just makes it a little bit easier on our end than just guessing completely um when it comes to you know your white balance and stuff like that another thing is they completely took out the record limit so you guys will feel at ease if you're filming a you know Indian wedding or Catholic wedding weddings that ceremonies that take you know 40 plus minutes long sometimes that you might be able to just get that in one shot you know pending your battery as well as if you have full full battery life um, and stuff like that because that 30 morning 30 minute recording limit I've never really ran into an issue with it um, it's just annoying having to walk around the room and you know turn it off turn it back on so that you know you don't hit that 30 minute recording limit I learned it through the hard way never knew it when I bought my first original Sony a6500 um, but obviously once you learn it you kind of pay attention to it a little bit more they included, which I think is the biggest smoke screen um, on the camera, and it's the 9 million plus dot uh, viewfinder. Um, I think that the EVF on the Sony cameras has never been like stellar, um, but they've always been good to me in my opinion. I think with an EVF, you're using it for photography over videography, so for me, it's hard to 
read that stat and be like, oh, wow, I'm really excited from that for a video perspective because yes, I use my viewfinder a lot to, to make sure my exposure is dialed in. I always get one of those um, better eye couplets for my camera so I can look with all light cut out from the outside. But besides that, I really am not looking through that thing to record, but it would be good to like be able to watch footage back in like a really better resolution. I digress. It's your own personal preference when it comes to that. Um, like I said before, they also kept all the same custom function buttons. So for me, I always mapped out one button for the record button since I hated the location of it being by the viewfinder on the side. But now with that record button being by the shutter button, that enables us and frees us up to have another custom button that we can use in something like that. Um, so for me, it's a, I love that feature because now I actually have all the custom button function buttons. I don't have to allocate one for the record feature on the camera. Okay, so now to get into the features we've all been waiting for, and it's the video features that this camera brings. I am excited to announce to you guys that we are fully going to be able to film everything in 4K, data, you know, limits, you know, pending if you got the SD cards, um, and deliver as high as 4K resolution as, as you'd like. Um, this camera films all the way up to 4K 120 internally, 10-bit, 422 with sound and autofocus. You are going to get a 10% crop at the 120 frames per second mark, um, but at 60, no crop. Obviously, 34, 24, no crop. Um, that's amazing, guys. I'm so excited to be able to utilize um, this feature. Not necessarily the 120. I've, again, like I've never you really utilized 120 frames per second, only when I really wanted the extra megabits because for some reason, in our Sony cameras before at 1080p at 120, the megabit count was higher than 60 frames. Um, but honestly, for me, I'm so excited just to just have 4K 60. Like, uh, you know, who is Matt Johnson? Um, had a YouTube video last week, and he was saying that Canon R5 gave filmmakers stuff they asked for, but stuff they didn't really care for. And I think by them trying to push the limit and come out with this boasting AK. Um, it limited them on their their capabilities with the camera, especially when it comes to overheating. I'm happy to announce and tell you guys, after watching countless videos and reading, everybody that has had a pre-production model of this camera has had nothing to say about overheating. They said that the battery died before, or even they've lost memory space, or they had no not enough memory space to continue recording before they even got an overheating issue. Um, you guys got to remember that Sony creates the sensors that usually are in all of these cameras in your cell phone. So I venture to guess they always leave a little bit for themselves. You know, they're not going to show all their cards on the table for their competitors. They're going to give them sensors that are nice, like the you know 40 plus megapixel sensors and stuff. But I think that you know they they created. A, a video camera using an amazing sensor that was made for video. Um, people forget that, again, you're getting 12 megapixel stills from this. With the R5, you're getting 40 plus. You know, that's why that that overheating is an issue because they wanted to appease a, basically, like if you really think about it, the R5 is kind of like an A7 III in a way. Um, it's a hybrid type camera and it has some insane video features that like on paper looked really good. And then as soon as they got actual copies in hands it's like oh my gosh we can record for like three minutes um so honestly i'm super excited to hear that sony did not come out and try to boast 8k or something crazy um or even give us 4k internal raw um i'll get into that in a little bit but they just gave us features that we wanted we wanted 10 bit 422 60 frames 
So they gave us that, and they're like, you know what? We can make 120 work, but we're just going to have to toss in a, you know, a 10% crop, which isn't really too, too much. Um, I'm so excited for that, guys. And even the 240, because in certain details, in full HD, having 240 frames is amazing. And again, doing all this with no overheating, like no overheating, that's amazing. Um, it may overheat, I think, maybe in situations, I don't know if anybody's referenced this, like I don't, as a wedding filmmaker, if you're shooting a beach wedding at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you may get overheating the situation. That's just might be inevitable. I mean, you have straight sunlight hitting a black camera um, that you know you know attracts more light um, and stuff like that. Also, in this in this camera is a new IBIS, a new in, internal um, image stabilization. Um, it has two settings: the standard, which I think we've come and always known to, and an active. The active is a little bit interesting. It kind of reminds me of what's on like the the DJI Osmo, like the GoPro, basically it's a digital stabilization. Um, it takes 10% of your image, so it's basically a 10% crop. So therefore you can't use it in 120 just because 120 already has that 10% crop. Um, but it looks really good in the footage. I'm excited to see how it looks in 60p if you ever really wanted to do something like that um, handheld. But honestly, if you're using a gimbal out of the times, if you're not using a gimbal and you're going straight handheld, you may want to have the active off just so it's not like overcompensating and you're getting more of that handheld look. Um, I guess Sony's on the website boasting and saying, and even I was skeptical of it first too, but I, after seeing test footage, there's virtually like very minimal rolling shutter in this camera. And that's one thing that these Sony mirrorless cameras were very, very bad with. I remember that when I first got my... Oh, sorry guys. When I first got my A6500 and I was like vlogging with it on like a vacation, I remember like whipping around and like show my uncle and seeing on the back of the screen, I saw like literally like a sideways video clip and I was like, is there something wrong with my camera? And that was like when I first discovered what rolling shutter was and I'm excited to see that they've kind of almost eliminated that in the A7S 3 and that's exciting. Um, they obviously... Sony is packing this all full with their, you know, their color profiles and stuff like that. I personally use Cine 4. I've been messing a lot with S-Log3 and also HLG just because um, I want to be able to color grade a little bit more um, in post. And Cine 4 is a really just kind of like a good baseline for me right now. Um, they boasted 15 plus stops of dynamic range. If you guys are in for like a visual of learning more about the Sony a7S 3 I highly suggest my friend David Zhao's video and also Jared Undone's video on the camera. They break down stuff into a little bit better detail than I'm able to um, just by knowing more and more about the Sony cameras. Um, but Gerald had a great talking point on that. He tested the actual dynamic range of the camera and he saw that in S-Log3, which is always going to have the highest performance dynamic range, um, it had a roughly around like 13, so like, I think it was like 13.5 stops total, um, which is still really, really good. For those that don't know, dynamic range is basically when you're filming an image or you're filming a, a composition, it is what you are able to capture all the way from the deepest shadows to the highest highlights and what you're able to bring back and up in post. Um, having a really good dynamic range is, is, is obviously um, important because you could be in a situation at a wedding or something like that where you need that dynamic range um, to recover the image and stuff like that. So yeah, guys, that's pretty much all the features that I wrote down that I was super, super excited for. Oh, you didn't think I forgot about RAW, did you? If you're interested, filmmakers may not be, wedding filmmakers specifically, um, but you are going to be able to record RAW externally in 16-bit, 16-bit, guys, to an external recorder up to 60 frames per second, which is amazing. Before, we didn't really have the capabilities to record anything to an external recorder 
where we would get extra features. Um, and I think that now we're really excited to see that as an option to be able to, if we want to like some corporate or client work where we want to be able to have full color grading capabilities, you're going to have 16 bit raw, which is insane. And in 4k 60 up to that, you know, which is awesome. So I'm really excited to kind of utilize that feature a little bit, uh, maybe even for just some personal work to test it out and stuff like that. This camera, let's talk about price. This camera's coming in at $34.99. Um, it's a little bit steep. Some people think that if you really like some of the features that the S3 is coming, they are saying maybe even wait like till that to the A7 IV drops because you know that's going to be like a hybrid between the both, uh, between both like a photography and a video camera. Personally, I don't think I'm going to be waiting. Um, I've been waiting for a camera that can give me 4K60, so I we have it now in 10-bit, everything we've asked for, so I'm jumping on it. Um, it is expensive. I think that the price will come down a little bit. I think that Sony was very, very strategic when they were deciding to release this camera, letting every all the hate with the you know overheating about the R5 come into play, and then being like, oh, we got a camera that does 4K 120 with no overheating. And I think that they kind of knew what they were doing. Um, who is this camera for? I think this is for people like myself that have been wanting to film everything in 4K and even still deliver in 1080p, but have that extra sharpness and detail. Um, I think this is for people that have a lot of client work that that clients want to future-proof themselves. They want they want videos that are delivered in 4K and 1080p so they can have that option in the future if everybody's on 4K monitors. I don't think this is for beginners. I think that if you're in your second, third year, maybe you're shooting 15, 20 plus weddings a year pick it up. If you're shooting five weddings a year or, you know, very minimal video work, I don't think this camera's for you. Personally, I would start off with something like an A6500, maybe even like, you know, maybe even A7 III just because that price has even come down. So I think that now it's on sale for like 1700 bucks. Um, this is a beast of a video camera. It, this is not a photography camera. This is not something you're going to get when it's your first time ever shooting anything. Um, it's a very, very, very hefty camera. Now, let's get into alternative options. I think that the, you know, you could still really truly get away with the A7 III. I think the A7 III is a great camera. Um, you could definitely still get away with the um, the Canon 5D Mark IV if you're a Canon shooter. Um, I don't really know too, too much about the Nikon series cameras. I think that their autofocus lacks, is very inferior to Sony's autofocus and Canon's autofocus. Um, I'm excited to hear what the A7 IV may have in store for us. I'm going to be trying to sell my a7 III like, soon just because I anticipate the a7 IV coming out shortly, um, hopefully having some of the features that this S3 has, um, and I, that way I'll be able to have a photo video camera that maybe can emulate some of the video specs that the S3 has. Obviously, not. I don't think we'll see 120 in that at all. I think we'll see max 4K60, and even that may have a small crop because they're going to have to bump that sensor size up to where it's able to take photos. But again, I digress. So are you guys going to be picking this camera up? Are you thinking about waiting on it till the price comes down a little bit? Do you think the price will come down? I mean, Sony gave us everything we wanted and more, so I don't really think the price will come down, but that's just my personal opinion. I hope this episode was exciting for you guys as much as it was for me. I hope it was helpful. Um, personally, if you guys have been thinking about it, pre-order now. The shipping is not until September, and I think that this is going to come in batches, and there's going to be a long waiting list like there already was for the R5. Um, the R5 ships in two days, too, so I thought that was very strategic of Sony to you know, do this whole release two days prior, give people time to like, cancel their orders and reorder Sony cameras, uh, but I'm excited. I'm going to pre-order mine today. And I am so pumped to have it in and I can't wait to talk more about it on my YouTube channel once I get the camera in. With that said, be sure to head over to my YouTube channel and my Instagram and give me a follow there. I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Peace.